Welcome to another episode of Inside Golden State Politics. I'm Bill Boyarski, former city editor of the Los Angeles Times, and with me is our producer director, Nancy Boyarski. And I'm Sherry Bebich Jeffy, political analyst and self-styled media maven, coming to you from a waiting room of the ICU at the Mountain View Hospital. Here's a warning, you're likely to hear some noise. It currently houses my sister, who is fighting for her life. And watching that has stoked my anger at those idiot members of Congress who so cavalierly played brinkmanship and are still playing with the lives of millions of Americans struggling to prevent their own lives from being upended economically and physically. You know, in case you haven't noticed, we live in incomprehensible times. Over to you, Bill. Jerry, our thoughts are with your sister. Laurel Rosenhall is the Sacramento Bureau Chief for the Los Angeles Times, and she also has a hand in directing political coverage. It's a big job, and she has to be right on top of everything, and so she was nice enough to take time out from her busy schedule to, uh, to be on our show this afternoon. Laurel, there's so much to talk about. What do you think of Governor Newsom's choice to appoint LaPanza Butler as the new United States Senator. Was that a bad judgment, good judgment, gutlessness, bravery? Tell us about your thoughts. All of the above. Well, Newsom um, limited his options. I'm sure you've discussed it on your show before, but he made two statements in the last two years before Dianne Feinstein died that really um, put, that really limited who he could, who he could choose and stay true to the pledges he had made. So first of all, in 2021, shortly after Kamala Harris became vice president and Governor Newsom appointed Alex Padilla to uh, Kamala Harris's Senate seat, um, Newsom faced a lot of anger from uh, black voters in California and actually nationwide because Kamala Harris was at the time was the only black woman in the United States Senate. So there was a lot of pressure on him um, back then, two years ago, to appoint a black woman to the Senate. He he didn't do that. He appointed Alex Padilla, and that was its own history-making pick. Um, Padilla became the first Latino um, senator to represent California. But it has left the United States Senate without representation of a Black woman in these years since then. And that's obviously a really important constituency for Democrats. So when he was asked in 2021, should he ever have the opportunity to appoint another senator, which is very, very rare that a governor appoints two senators, almost, I mean, it happened in 1953 in California, but it doesn't really happen very often. Um, Nolan, I... Yeah, he said he would appoint another, uh, he said he would appoint a Black woman. And um, it was all very hypothetical then. And of course, Senator Feinstein's health has de- declined um, in the years since then. And um, and then earlier this month, before she passed away, Newsom said on national television, he was asked if he would appoint 
Um, if he had to appoint someone, if he would appoint someone who was running, because there is a black woman running for Senate next year. There's uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, very prominent, progressive, Democratic Congresswoman from Oakland. So um, er- early in September, he said no, he would appoint, make an what he called an interim appointment and made it clear again in the hypothetical. I think he even said in that interview that it was a hypothetical on top of a hypothetical um, that he would make an interim appointment and just appoint, you know, basically a caretaker, someone to hold the, someone who was not running. So given those two statements, he had, um, a kind of a short list of people to choose from. Um, and many of the black women who hold office in California, there would be reasons why they wouldn't want to do it because either they like their job that they're in now, um, you know, uh, uh, Supervisor Holly Mitchell, I spoke with her last week, and she just said that she's um, very passionate about her job on the Board of Supervisors. She feels like she has a, a, lot, of, a, lot, a lot more to do. She's running for a re-election, and, um, you know, why would she give up her, her position for a short-term appointment? Um, and then, you know, Maxine Waters, uh, told one of our call, one of my colleagues in Washington that she thought she was behind Barbara Lee. She, you know, so, so, I mean, there was just, it became, it became, um, kind of a quandary Mm. now, given all those term is ugly. So given all of the limitations that Newsom put on himself, I, I think that his choice makes a lot of sense, um, but um, that's a really long way to answer your question. <laughs> but I think it has, it has to be acknowledged that he did put a lot of a lot of um, he he put him he sort of painted himself into a corner. You know, Senator Butler. She just got sworn in. Senator Butler is well known in uh, capital and state political circles, uh, not too much by the general public. Have you not run across her much? What's she like? So I, um, I don't have, I, I, I can't speak to her on a personal level, but she definitely is well known as an operative in the state. She's, um, was a union leader for a very long time. And she, of course, was, um, central in Kamala Harris's short-lived, um, presidential campaign. So, um, She's 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 well regarded. She has um, incredible political connections. When you think about the power that uh, labor unions have in California, um, she was involved in the fight for fifteen, the fifteen dollar minimum wage, which was a huge um, issue several years ago, and obviously is the kind of policy that makes a real difference in the lives of many many people. Um, and she um, also has experience in corporate America. She has worked for Airbnb. Um, she worked for a political consulting firm that is close with with uh, that's Newsom's you know strategist uh, run. And she she had some work for Uber during the time there. So and then most recently, she's been running Emily's List, the um, organization that helps raise money for um, Democratic women who support abortion access to run for office. 
And so when you think about those kinds of that career path, that is someone with like a very formidable connections um, in, in the world of, of politics and access to fundraising who, um, who he picked. You know, the, uh, excuse me, I have a question. I haven't spoken much yet. Laurel, it sounds to me like this is a woman who could very much run for the full term. Is that a possibility? And what does it do to the U.S. Senate race in California? So those are the burning questions this week in California politics. Um, Jerry, that was the question I was going to ask. (laughs) Well, great minds think alike. Go ahead, Laurel. Yeah. So um, on the first question, my colleague, Taryn Luna, one of the reporters I work with, um, spoke with LaFonza Butler yesterday, and she said that she truly doesn't know if she's going to run or not. Um, Okay. she said that um, that Newsom um, put no, you know, preconditions on her, um, and no asked for no promise, and said it was completely her choice, um, and that she really, I mean, this all did come together really, really fast. Oh. So she, she said that it was only Saturday when they reached out to her. So I mean, you got to figure that, like, if she's first having that conversation on Saturday and. She's um, announced by Sunday night. That's a <laughs> that's a really <laughs> timeline. Um, so she is um, not answering that question for right now. Um, I don't know when she will answer, but she did. I, I you know I, I I think it it won't be this week. Um, Senator Feinstein is going to be um, the funeral for her is on Thursday, and I would be shocked if there's um, you know any 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 clarity on this um, before then. Um, now, if she runs, um, the uh, the the political experts that we've been interviewing seem really divided on the question of whether she really could 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 do it or not. Um, on the one hand, whether she could mount a really like successful campaign. Got it. Um, on the one hand, as I mentioned, she does have access to a lot of fundraising and connections with a lot of powerful people. And, you know, she's young, she's 44 years old. Um, she, she, uh, you know, labor support and Emily's list and whatnot, you could imagine it being really, um, really formidable. On the other hand, it is late and you know very well that it takes a, a, a long time to get your name known by the public. Um, she's always, her whole career has been more as a behind the scenes type operative. You know, she's never held any elective office. No one in California has ever voted for her for anything, not even for school boards. So um, she's not like someone who's been on national cable TV a lot the way, you know, Katie Porter or Adam Schiff have. She so, will be. She will be now. Yeah. So long story short is there are there are two very different worldviews on whether or not she could mount a successful campaign, given that the um, primary is in March. She'd have to, you know, decide really, really soon. She can still file. Filing hasn't closed. Correct. Right. All this has a certain uh, impact on the governor. Uh, 
good or bad? Did he look like a wimp or did he look really farsighted and smart? Um, well, I hate to be so, um, on the one hand, on the other hand, but I have to say that that's another question where I think that there were, there's a real mixed opinion. Um, you know, Mark Baraback, column, LA Times columnist, um, wrote a pretty strong piece kind of blasting him on the flip-flop um, and, and, um, and for being kind of in, in Mark's view, kind of weak enough to cave to the pressure and, then along the way, flip flop on whether he was going to um, make it a short time term appointment or not, because appointing someone like LaFonza Butler, who's a powerful person in 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 the prime of her career, does kind of indicate more that it, it, it she's someone who could run. Um, and yet um, and yet, on the other hand, you could also look at it and say, well, given that he had pledged to appoint a black woman that he, whatever his future ambitions may be in politics, whether that's running for president or anything else in the future, um, having good relationships with black voters across the country was really important in democratic politics. So you could say that that would be a smart move by him to, you know, uh, stick to that pledge. Um, and then, you know, show his, um, He's has kind of a mixed relationship with the with organized labor, so this is a a a, a good one for that. Um, and um, and then he still can kind of maintain in the good graces of Nancy Pelosi, who is backing Adam Schiff in the congr- in the Senate race, and just sort of stay out of that by not by not. But it's kind of like a weird stay out of it. I mean, because it's like he didn't. <laughs> you know, he's a, it's sort of like uh, it's so. Uh, typical of him uh, you know he's sort of all over the lot and and uh, very hard to pin him down I'm, and i'm not even talking about his manner of speaking which is sometimes incomprehensible but just his views and this is a perfect example of him going one way the other way and where does he stand yeah i, I want to go back to something that laurel said because i think it's very important she is a stolid labor person. And Gavin is sort of doing a Jerry Brown 1.0. Yes, I'm going to give you this labor. No labor. You're not going to get unemployment when you're on strike. No labor. I'm not going to have OSHA qualifications for caregivers. Yes, labor. It's it's a ping pong game for him, it seems. You paddle a little to the left, as Governor Brown used to stay in his canoe theory of politics, you paddle it a little to the right, and then you go through the center. It's classically Gavin, as far as I can see. I totally agree. And then, of course, there's also the issue of the, um, you know, Newsom has a real um, record now um, of using his power to diversify the bench of Democratic politicians in this state and really elevate people. He gets credit for making these sort of historic first kind of appointments. And he also demonstrates how, you know, power can be shared and how um, how how you kind of build a bench because um, through circumstances you know, beyond his control, he has had this unbelievable power of 
um, these many appointments as governor. It's it's unusual. So he's now appointed two senators, and both of them were historic firsts. The first Latino to represent California and the first gay person to represent California because uh, Senator Butler is a lesbian. And um, he also appointed an attorney general who is the first Filipino attorney general for California. And he also appointed a secretary of state who was the first African-American secretary of state. So um, he has... uh, it has been a really interesting thing about his time as governor has been just kind of his the way he's had this power to make these appointments for offices that are usually, you know, elected offices and how he's used that power to kind of make diversify the the the, the people who who have the offices and build the bench of Democrats. Yeah, but I think this one almost tripped him up. I do. I think this one almost tripped him up. Why is that? Sure. I mean, isn't this one of those things well, I mean, in two months from now, nobody will remember it? Whatever he did on this particular appointment, particularly because he had made that promise to appoint a black woman early on and then said, yeah, but I didn't say forever. I said for the interim, no matter what he did, no matter who he appointed, he's going to alienate or has alienated one group of Democratic voters. The others really were kind of easy, I think. Um, He held back, he thought, and he appointed. This one, he had to open his mouth, and it really hurt him, I think. Well, it's a tough job. Hey, uh, Sherry and I have been talking about all the bills that he's signed and hasn't signed and and the legislative session, which uh, ended up with a new speaker of the Assembly. A lot's What's been happening? Laura, what's your idea of what was the hottest bills? What was the biggest things that the uh, legislature accomplished? What did the governor accomplish by signing or vetoing bills? Um, I think the most remarkable thing about this session was how by the time it ended in the middle of September, um, the labor organized labor had just gotten a really remarkable pile up of wins. I mean, of what they got through the legislature. Um, They, um, the, the legislature passed this um, bill that you mentioned earlier that would give unemployment uh, benefits to workers who are on strike for two weeks or more. Um, That was something that had been introduced in the past and never passed the legislature. Um, They passed something that would give, um, give uh, unionization rights to employees of the legislature who currently don't have it, even though most government workers do have that in California. Um, that's something that's been introduced in the past and and did not pass. Um, they got something that uh, that has to do with requiring a driver in um, in autonomous vehicle trucks, you know, robot self-driving trucks. Um, that was a big priority for the Teamsters. That one got passed. Um, and there was an increase in bill to increase sick days, um, OSHA protections for domestic workers. I mean, there was just a slew of, of really big wins for labor. Now, the governor is not going with all of them. So he's been kind of gradually vetoing some of them. Um, he vetoed the uh, the one on the ele- on the electric trucks. He vetoed the OSHA protections. He vetoed the um, 
the unemployment benefits, but we'll still say he, see what he does with sick days. He may sign that one. If he hasn't taken an action yet, that would increase the amount of um, mandatory paid sick days for workers in California from three days to five days. Um, and um, and so we'll we'll see where that one lands. Um, other interesting issues. He has a bill on his desk that um, would. Um, decriminalize psychedelic mushrooms in California. So very curious to see what he does with that. Um, yeah, I mean, that one is, uh, yeah, that one, that one will be really interesting. Um, there's another labor one that has to do with healthcare wages would create a $25 minimum wage for healthcare workers. Um, that was a big priority from, for labor that, that sucked up a lot of oxygen at the end of the legislative session. So, um, yeah, those are some of them. Do you think that he showed anything positive, uh, you know, in dealing with the legislature in, in the past few months? Did he learn something? Was he a, was he a leader or was he sort of pushed around by the tide? Um, I think actually that there was, you could say that in the way things went this month that, I mean, this, this year, there were instances where he just kind of got his way or most of his way by doing things at the last minute. You know, he kind of pushed this, he pulled at the last minute, he put right before the budget deadline, he pushed this infrastructure package that became very controversial. He got most of what he wanted. Um, he did this, um, he did this, this, this oil related measure early in the year, which, which, um, which he didn't actually get exactly what he wanted on that, but it was another one where he sort of created this sense of urgency to kind of, and he called a special session and whatnot, um, to try to, you know, get around gas prices. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, yeah, I think that he's, I don't think he gets pushed around by the legislature. I wouldn't describe it like that, but I also um, think that he just kind of like is selective about when he wants to play ball and how he, and how he plays with others, I guess is how I would say it. And you know, it really should be easy for him because he has super majorities in both houses. And I wonder um, if maybe he's been giving too much credit for what's getting done because the numbers are with the legislature, number one. And I also wonder, what do Republican legislators do in Sacramento? <laughs> well, um, on the second question, I guess I would just say um, that well, yeah. like a remarkable victory for Republicans this year. I don't know if it um, hit your radar, but there was a Republican bill that had to do with um, making harsher penalties for child sex trafficking. And it was like it was like an issue that I mean, Democrats really messed up their handling of that bill. Um, they sort of corrected things in the end. But it was just, it was a case of like a rare Republican victory. 
Um, and it, this was a bill that um, would make harsher, punif- harsher punishments for child sex traffickers in kind of like the worst situation, like someone who's like a repeat offender on this terrible crime. Um, and the bill was introduced by a Republican senator. It sailed through the Senate with no controversy. It was like passed unanimously. And um, and then it hit the assembly and it became a huge mess because um, Democrats who sort of oppose anything that would increase prison sentences and like put, you know, put more people in prison, just sort of opposed it for that reason. And then it became like a huge public relations nightmare. And um, Gavin Newsom jumped in. Um, to save the bill, as did the new assembly speaker, Robert Revis, who at the time this chaos was all happening right as the assembly speakership was changing hands. And um, and so that was just kind of a really interesting thing to see that, like, even though it meant giving um, giving Republicans a win because that bill was authored by a Republican, um, you know, for Newsom, it was obvious that it was like better better to give a Republican a win than to have like the Democrats look like they were like siding on the side of child sex traffickers. Like that was just like an absolute, you know, no, no go situation. So that was just really interesting the way it was, it just like pit. Um, anyway, so that was like one, when you ask what Republicans do in that case, one huge Republican win this year. Not bad. Maybe I'm overly influenced uh, by my old friend George Skelton and uh, his column, but uh, he thought the uh, Democrats and the governor and and the legislative Democrats did a smart thing, bailed out the party from a a real mess. And as far as policy goes, took a stand on something that that is controversial, increasing uh, prison sentences in a time when, uh, when that's not being done. Yes. And, and in a way, like the 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 Republicans got their kind of nose under the tent for anything that would be um, sort of like harsher criminal sentences, which is mostly policy in California has been going the other way, you know, kind of to, to kind of think back to like to dial back some of those tough on crime movements of the past. Well, it sounds like he's positioning, shall we say, the staging for a national theater event, if you get my drift. <laughs> I mean, he's out there. Bad when, you know, people scream and yell that you're a woke leftist and you are tough on crime, particularly when children are involved. What's with him and um, his position in the Biden campaign? I mean, they've really thrust Governor Newsom out in front and, He's uh, milking it for all the publicity he can. And the last debate was was the foremost Democratic spokesman. But Biden looks like he's going to run again. What's what's with Newsom on this? Is he looking down the road or is he just doing what Biden, helping Biden out? I can't figure it out. I would say all of the above. I mean, mm-hmm. all of the, you know, it's, it's an all of the above strategy of just kind of like, he gets to win by helping the incumbent president, um, and he gets to also kind of get himself out there and get more exposure and contacts for um, 
for the future, you know, come what may. So um, he's he's going to be termed out of the governor's office um, at the end of of 2026. So. would he, I mean, I, I, my, my read is that he's just keeping his options as open as they could possibly be, whether that's a position in another Biden administration, whether that's running for president himself in 28. I mean, it's just kind of like whatever, just keeping options open. So this, he is, he is now like a real serious surrogate for, for Biden. He's, you know, doing all the big talk shows. He's, traveling to, you know, different states and talking to voters. And, um, and it seems like it helps it. He, he, he's helping the president and he's helping himself all, all at the same time. And he's building a national profile and what we used to call back in the day, expanding the Rolodex. He now Mm -hmm. has, if there were still Rolodexes, he would have at this point in time, a very impressive national Rolodex of volunteers, of supporters, and nationally based donors. You know, this is sort of it's something that interests me because it's what I uh, used to do for a living. But what's it like being uh, covering the Capitol these days? Is it is it hard? Are the legislators uncooperative, cooperative? Are, are you given access? Uh, is the staff helpful? I have all these sort of wonky technical questions that <laughs> probably only the three of us are interested in. Um, I can't say it's, I wouldn't, I don't feel like it's like harder than it's been in the past. Um, you know, I mean, the one thing, I mean, if you really want the inside view, one thing, I don't know how many people in California care about this, but there is like a huge construction project going on at the state Capitol. And, um, so like the wing of the Capitol that has the, um, the chambers where, you know, the Senate and the assembly gather and has the speaker's office and the Senate leader's office, the historic wing is as, as you remember it, that is in place and like nothing's changed there. But the whole other wing where like most lawmakers had their offices who weren't in leadership and um, even where the governor's office was and where like the press, um, the the press conference room was and like that whole big wing is getting torn down. And so there's like a whole new building that's a block away from the Capitol. So think the rhythm of things has changed because people have to like walk back and forth between buildings and like legislators and lobbyists. And there's kind of like two buildings that are a block away from each other where that are this, the center, the the joint hubs of activity, I guess you could say, because now the governor's office is a block away from the Capitol and most lawmakers have their offices a block away from the Capitol. Um, and so that is like, that's, that's a difference. Um, and so everyone's kind of adjusting to that. And then also like people are still adjusting back to like post COVID life of things being more in person, but during COVID, a lot of things became, you know, live streamed and like a lot of stuff became available to do remotely. And then, um, so anyway, there's just like, I would say like those things have kind of changed because of, the, the, the physical environment has changed. Um, and then there's been like the change in speakership. So that's kind of getting to, you know, getting to know some, some new people in the speaker's office. 
Why didn't they like uh, Speaker Rendon? How how did he lose his job so early, prematurely? Right? Well, well early. He could have stayed longer, but he could have stayed longer. But he was there quite a long time, and um, there was a huge division in the caucus. And um, I mean, yeah, I think that there's like a lot of. Um, there was, there was a huge division and some people felt like it was time to plan for the future um, and wanted a speaker who would have a longer horizon, which is what they ended up picking. And then the other, um, the other, you know, camp wanted to stick with him and stay loyal, but there was a lot of feeling that things were too decentralized. You know, Speaker Rendon has had this approach of kind of like letting the chairman of each committee make a lot of decisions and having things like not very centralized from the speaker's office. And on the one hand, that's like power sharing. And then on the other hand, it did lead to things being like you had a lot of little fiefdoms all and like a lot of little clicks all over the place. And so there wasn't a very like centralized power structure. So some, some people felt some members of the legislature felt like things were too disorganized. Um, so that was part of it. Um, I, hate to be rude, but like, uh, this is a very newsy day and I have a million messages coming at me. So I do feel like I need to kind of wrap things up with this conversation. I'm sure. really sorry. Well, hey, you, you stayed, you stayed a long time and been very helpful, very informative. And uh, it's been very enjoyable having you, uh, Laurel. As, as Thanks, Laurel. Thank you. you. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. You really, you really shed a lot of light on things. Bye-bye. Take care. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Cheers, everyone.